Hello and welcome to the uh, podcast of exaggerated hand gestures and the, the uh, Dungeon Masters Guildhouse. Uh, this is a weekly podcast where I, Matthew Whitby, sit down with people all across the um, DM Guild space and surrounding and just chat about their creative process and all cool stuff. And this week I am overjoyed to be joined by Mika Watt of Pyromatic Press. Thank you so much. Pyromaniac Press. Thank you for having me. <laughs> almost, almost stumbled there. Um, but no, okay, yeah, how, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, yeah, doing pretty well. Yourself? Yeah, no, yeah, doing alright. I think um, I, so. I, I got new internet yesterday, um, and to pull behind the curtain a little bit, um, I used to have under a megabyte of upload speed. So each podcast I would upload would take me 24 hours. <laughs> and yes, yes, yesterday I, I <laughs> that'd I, be a struggle. Yeah, it was it was the worst. Uh, but yesterday, ah, oh, it's so much faster. I didn't I didn't know the internet could be this fast. Um, but, but enough about me and, and my internet. Um, no, so so for those listening uh, who may not necessarily be aware of you know, things you do with um, Pyromaniac Press and, and surrounding, what sort of stuff are you known for? Um, well, I'm probably best known for the archetype books. So um, Faiths of the Forgotten Realms 1 and 2 uh, were fairly big and um, Blackstaff's Tome of Wizardry was probably the other one that did fairly well um had a fair bit of uh, uh front page coverage for a while there so um but i really i do a bit of everything so i've got uh, a number of adventures um i've done some encounter compilations so short adventures or just um uh short encounter uh setups um some race options i've got a book out there with about 50 odd uh variations on tieflings and asthma uh, feats, spells, other bits and pieces, monsters. So a bit of everything, really. Yeah, I was, was going to say when when I was like uh, sort of scrolling through your catalog, and uh, I, I, it is it is literally like spinning all the plates, kind of dipping in. Yeah, no, 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 no focus at all. I just you know I'm like a goldfish. I just go with whatever I'm uh, I'm seeing at the time. And I was going to say, so have you like over the course of like everything you've done? Is there something that you find yourself kind of like gravitating towards more often than not? Like, is there something that you just just enjoy? Uh, well, look, I, I enjoy all aspects of, of D and D and the, and the relative, um, parts of it. Uh, I am in, in life, uh, almost, uh, invariably the forever DM. So I spend a lot of my time behind the screen. Um, so, I mean, I, I really enjoy creating adventures. Um, but adventures are, are a difficult, um, prospect on the, on the guilds because, Unlike everything else, which is really just interpretive drop-in material. So if you want spells or you want class archetypes, the the adventure in the campaign doesn't really hinge on that. And so you can kind of pull them in, drop them in, pull them out, etc. You know, they don't come with a lot of context or baggage. Mm-hmm. Whereas adventures, of course, you've got to have enough uh, um, information in them to make them workable. You've got to be able to communicate the plot, the themes and so forth. Um, and you actually have to appeal to people as well. And, and that can, you know, that runs the whole gamut. So not everybody's interested in the same types of ventures I want to run. And, 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 you know, that, which is fantastic because you want that variety, but it's a hard market to sell to. So um, I think adventures are my first love, but uh, I think product wise, um, I really enjoy just about everything. I mean, the archetypes, do well player options always do well people want to try out new things and and have new experiences so um yeah they tend to they tend to do the best um but i I, I enjoy it all fairly equally i was gonna say to to latch on the 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 sort of like um the nature of archetypes and um and player facing options is there is there like I'm curious about like what what is your like is it like because it seems like especially with like Faces of Forgotten Realms and and um, some of the other things it's it's very much like you take a existing kind of law based situation and then you sort of like see if like okay well how is this unique to this sort of player option or yeah well look I mean especially when it comes to the the DM's Guild as well which of course allows for the Wizards of the Coast IP mm-hmm. um, I've been I, I've been playing D and D for just over 30 years uh so so i've been doing this a long time and and the kid in me 
you know, found the Forgotten Realms very early and I got very deeply into the lore and really enjoyed that aspect of it. I've, I've played um, all editions of D&D at one point or another. Um, but I was always fascinated by the Forgotten Realms and uh, a lot of my history is in gaming in there and, and the lore. So that's, to me, that's a bit of a natural extension. Um, that being said, I'm not a lore book guy. Uh, I think there's definitely a place for that. And certainly with fifth edition, you see some of these great DMs Guild authors coming out with these new law books, updating the law, especially with, you know, some of the old hands like Ed and, and so forth contributing, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I'm not really a law guy. I just, but I do love to, to meld the products to the existing law. I mean, that's what the, the opportunity is there for with the IP. So, um, and faith's one, uh, that, I mean, I, that was an interesting one because I, I really enjoyed, um, that, that the evolution of that was a, a very strange beast. Um, uh, so originally it was just meant to be, you know, some, um, some paladin oaths and, um, there's a big collaboration that was like, um, Scott Bean from, um, Dragon Rock Press actually spearheaded that. And he put the call out for a collaboration. There's about 20 or 30 people that put their hand up and said, oh yeah, I'll be in that. But this isn't back in the very early days of collaborations when they were pretty new. And uh, very quickly, we sort of got a chat going and we're talking about what we want to do. And, you know, um, I said, well, if you're going to do, you know, power notes and you're going to tie them to the Pantheon, what about cleric domains? And, you know, well, what about the extra stuff that comes with that spells and magic items and holy books and things like that. And, and so there was a, a bit of a mixed conversation around that. And some people were keen, some people were like, Oh no, that's a bit too much for me. And yeah. over the course of about a week, everybody dropped out. Everybody dropped out. Yeah. It was just Scott, me and Alex Kleppinger. And we're sitting around and we're sort of thinking, uh, is this a dead project? We're just not going to do this. Yeah. But I was really invested and Scott was really invested and Alex was really invested. Three of us sat down and said, well, you know what? We can do this. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the, the three of us kind of put our heads together and went, right, 50 gods, 100 archetypes. Let's just dig in. But the good thing is that, that you know, we're all quite steeped in the law mm-hmm. and we knew what we wanted to do. The roadmap was already there. I mean, there's, um, uh, you know, faiths and avatars, faiths and pantheons. Um, you know, these these books. Um, you know, Eric Miner and 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 company. Uh, they already mapped it out for us. We were really just. It was just a conversion. We didn't have to do much in the way of law. The deep law was already there. We were just connecting it to fifth edition mechanics. So. Um, I mean, that was, a, that was a long project. It was, it was a great project. We worked very, very hard on it uh, for a very long time before we got the final result, but we were all very pleased with it. And, and so, you know, for the rest of my products as well, as much as possible, I like to add some of that, that realm's connection. Otherwise, yeah. you, could, you, know, you could put this adventure anywhere or you could yeah. put this supplement anywhere. It's important to me that it has that grounding in the realms. Most of my adventures take place in either known locations or connections to it or just drop in like nuggets of law um to make sure that people you know get that feel of i'm not just playing an adventure i'm playing a forgotten realms adventure so um, yeah no i must say so hearing about you detail like the uh i guess the uh development process for cases of Realms, it does sound like yeah it, it's the idea of like you when you suck when you have an idea or a project thinking oh it'll just be like a few a few paladin subclasses you know it can't be that many and then with the fact that you mentioned was it like 50 gods 100 plus was it or the other way around 100 gods 50 yeah gods? no so the the primary pantheon has 50 deities in it um well about 48 we we added Maradon and Corallon, uh, the primary gods of the Elven and Dwarven um, pantheons, to round out the fifty. It made it made sense to have, and um, but yeah, the those were the direct takes from the Sword Coast Adventurers Guide. So they're the forty-eight primary deities that made it from the earlier editions into the fifth edition book. And um, yeah, sometimes sometimes these projects kind of take on a life of their own. I mean, we were only you know, with 20 plus contributors, we're only meant to be doing three or four each yeah. at best. And that was, you know, really, 
we originally it was just going to be paladins, so we we're doing like two each, yeah. um, and then it really got away from us. But yeah. that's the that's the beauty of of creating for DMs Guild or anywhere else is mm-hmm. sometimes the pro- projects just go where they go. You have mm-hmm. a plan and you have an idea of what you want to do, and sometimes it, you stick to that, and sometimes they just take on a life of their own, and sometimes they're the best products. I mean, you, you don't want to take on too much. No, of course. Yeah, I think that you sometimes you do have to draw a line to be like, okay, well, this is this is getting a little bit excessive. But then I don't know. I mean, that's that's what project projects. managers are for. You see, yeah. to to keep us from going crazy. Yeah. And I suppose there's always a case of like, I mean, there's like we being like freelance, uh, like um, like writers, and the, it's like there's no never really like a hard deadline. It's it's a case of like you know, obviously it's sometimes nice, but in the case of like if if you want a project to grow and you can see the scope that it could reach and the potential it could reach, sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I could just I could just yeah, well, why why not do include clerics as well? I mean, that's, it's only double the workload. Well, <laughs> yeah, only double. There's I mean, there's definitely freedom in what we do. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of the the DM skill writers um, will you know if the opportunities arise, they will freelance or or um, be able to take commissions for, you know, various publishing companies, uh, both large and small, um, which is great. But it is a bit of a different world. I mean, if you look at running your own own project is easy because you you can do whatever you want, you know, unless there's an externally imposed deadline. Say you're trying to release something to sync with, um, you know, Rhyme of of the Ice Maiden. Um, Then there's, sorry, my child just uh, ran past. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's always the the uh the unexpected interruptions that get your attention yeah um yeah so uh you know if you if you want to release in conjunction with the the official releases um then you know there's those externally imposed deadlines but when you're writing your own stuff you've got all the freedom in the world you know if you've if you hit a creative block and you just need to leave it for a couple of days there's no one emailing you saying where is that manuscript you promised me the deadline's passed mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, some of the, the guild projects, particularly when you do collaborations, particularly with some of the more professional um, uh, sort of writers and creators, mm-hmm. is, is there will be that sort of hierarchy of, yes, we have a schedule. Yes, we have a deadline, mm-hmm. soft deadlines, hard deadlines. Yeah. Um, some of the projects are really run really professionally. Um, and, and, uh, so yeah, there's a bit of mix of both. Um, I recommend, I actually, uh, I actually recommend for all creators to do or try to get into seeing both, both sides of it. You know, the, having that deadline, having that schedule, having, you know, commitments certainly pushes you to produce faster and in some cases better. Um, the freedom to sort of sit around and wander off and have a coffee or just have a slack day because it's your stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's good for stress levels, but sometimes it, you know, it can be a creator's worst enemy knowing they can just, you know, wander off and hang out the washing or something instead of actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, with it, you know, the, the diamonds are made under pressure and all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I guess... not, not too much pressure. No, 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 again, otherwise you just get dust. <laughs> that's right it comes it goes back uh, around <laughs> there are definitely times in certain projects i've i've felt like i am moving on to the dust level yeah. uh thankfully often as creators we can find that fuel to sort of recharge um but yeah those the right level of pressure not too little not too much just and, enough to be productive and obviously it varies from person to person um but i, I did want to uh, kind of like around so so when did you like how long have you been like creating content for the dm's guild um, the, so for the DMs Guild, I've been creating for about three and a half years. I think the first thing I put up was about March, 2017. Okay, so um, but I'd actually early. been, I'd actually been creating on drive through RPG prior to that. So, um, for about a, a year or two before that, I'd actually been producing material for drive through RPG. Um, when the DMs Guild came along, I was committed to an adventure series at that time. Uh, it actually kickstarted it in order to get the funding for the art. So I was committed to that when the DMs Guild opened up and I wasn't actually, um, I just didn't have the time or resources to be able to join the Guild immediately. So mm-hmm. I actually joined the Guild in sort of like the second wave. Um, you know, your MT Blacks, your um, uh, Phil Beckwith was, was sort of there, JVC Parry. Um, Tony Petreca was another big one at the time. So you kind of had that first wave of creators. I sort of tacked onto that kind of second wave of creators. 
Um, but I've been at it for a little while now. No, incredible. Um, and then I guess, so again, forgive my almost like tangential uh, topic from side to side. Um, so in writing, uh, was it in, in, in obviously over the course of like what you've been doing on the DMs Guild, you've written a fair few sort of subclasses. Um, I'm curious. A headful. Yeah. Again, I don't want to understate how much work you've done. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know what? I actually haven't counted them, but a, a quick sort of tally in my head. This, in terms of archetypes, there's probably uh, I don't know, 60, 70, maybe more at this stage. Um, that's probably too many now that I think about it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that's a good amount. I think we can, again, we can probably push those numbers in, in, in a few years' time. I think every year, just <laughs> like after this, after this I, I feel like you may want to go count them. And then now you know from now on that's how many I've done. <laughs> that's, that's information for the next interview. I'll, yeah. I'll have the hard numbers. Um, <laughs> we just actually, have I, haven't, I haven't stopped either. I, I'm doing another project, uh, project with archetypes in it. So um, apparently that just seems to be my forte. I was going to say, uh, yeah, the next time you come on, it's just a, a PowerPoint presentation of you with a bunch of like, pie charts. And you say, in quarter one, I had made uh, seven. But so, so uh, to get onto like the, I guess, the sort of the mechanical crunch, like, what is it that, like, uh, what, like, are there like any sort of, like tools or tips that you go, like, help you create a subclass or like, like, because I think a big balance, a thing, a big behind, uh, sorry, a big thing behind it is like balance or just like, you know, not not sort of like taking too much from like other classes or other subclasses that kind of do the similar thing or yeah look i think um you know my personal philosophy is that you want to create something that people want to play um but you also want to continue to ensure it has its distinct identity and 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 look i'm a i'm a big one on this and anyone who's worked with me will tell you this um power creep is my big bugbear so Every time I create a supplement or work in a collaboration or head a collaboration, um, my aim is to f have the archetypes fall somewhere between PHB and Xanathar's level in um, mechanical power. Uh, and the reason for that is, I mean, the, the various archetypes and, and classes, they do, they do range. Um, you do have some fairly weak classes and archetypes and you have some fairly powerful classes and archetypes and a lot of them are circumstantial they'll be strong in some cases and weak in other cases depending on where you're fighting or what you're fighting or um you know the environment the the character or the class might be in um but yeah look i think when people are creating subclasses i think they're you need to be a little bit careful because there's certainly a desire to make this subclass desirable it's a bit of wish fulfillment i like to play fighters, but I don't have a fighter type that I really enjoy. You know, um, champions aren't for me or battle masters are, are too much, you know, um, record, record keeping. I want something that does X, Y, and Z. And, and I think sometimes you can kind of fall into that trap of going and giving an archetype everything, everything you want, you know, everything you want in a, in a, in an archetype, the be all and end all. And I think you need to, well, rather, you know, anyone creating and myself particularly, I hold myself a check and say, well, look, is this going to be power balanced? Because if it isn't, um, wish fulfillment is wonderful. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get a solid product. Um, some people might enjoy playing it, but it'll destabilize the game mm -hmm. if it's, you know, the, the Rolls Royce of, of archetypes. And so I tend to put it up against things. You know, there are definitely archetypes in Xanathar's, which certainly peak, um, uh, and archetypes in in the player's handbook, you know, the the much maligned Beastmaster Ranger yeah. um, that that tends to be put on the bottom of the pile. And so, um, yeah, the the important thing is mechanically is to find that that range mm -hmm. and then work within that range. Um, and archetypes they're pretty formulaic. I mean, someone I wish I hadn't actually prepared for this, but I wish I'd found it. There is actually a couple of products on the DMs Guild that talk about how to create your own archetypes. Um, you know, every every bard archetype is going to have the same sort of you know abilities at the right levels. Mm -hmm. You know, um, or we'll go back to Ranger, where you look at Ranger and it's got you know at at a certain level it'll be a defensive style ability, at others it'll be utility style ability, mm -hmm. and so there is actually a, a fairly simple formula for 
the approximation of what kind of power and what power level should go in an archetype for all the classes across um, all of the books, really. So, I mean, wizards get it right most of the time. There, there are a few corner cases and, and niche archetypes which can be a little bit game-breaking, particularly in certain combinations with other things. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I think if you, know, if you take the time to analyse how these things break down, you can end up getting quite balanced archetypes quite easily. It's, it's you know, what, what I do isn't rocket science. It's, it's quite simple. Um, there are a lot of people in the guild that do it as better, if not better than I do. So um, there's, and there's an endless, there's endless variety, uh, which is, which is good as well. So as long as, and again, as you mentioned, you don't steal too much from other classes mm-hmm. um, because you don't want to be going, well, I need a fighting wizard. So I'll just take all the good stuff from here and all the good stuff from here. And suddenly I've got, you know, once again, this overblown or overfilled archetype yeah. um, that tries to be everything to all people. So I, I guess, I guess in, in the course of like writing stuff like that, do you have any, um, I guess like, no, I was going to say horror stories, but I feel like that's a little bit, <laughs> but like any, any situation where you've, you've made something and in sort of reflection or sort of going back to you're like, this is, this, this is way too strong. Uh, yes. So absolutely. And, and the thing is that, you know, the, the part of your journey as a, as a creator for the guild, whether it's archetypes or adventures or anything mm-hmm. else is, is the self-reflection point, the point of going, well, I love this idea. Um, I want to make it work, but, is it actually working? You know, mm-hmm. taking a step back from your darling and going, well, I love this concept, but is it really working? Um, the the first product I put up um, on the guild was uh, Barbarians, Warriors, Warriors of Spirit, I think I called it. And there were three archetypes in there. Um, and they're not, they're not actually too bad, all things considered, but one of them I redid the Rage Mechanic with the idea being that it was meant to be a, a controlled rage. So in, mm-hmm. instead of having your sort of out of control barbarian, you had someone who sort of fell into this almost Zen state mm-hmm. of, um, you know, of focused anger. Um, and while it wasn't particularly overpowered, it took away some of the limitations of rage. And I think mechanically those are there for a good reason. Uh, like the ability to not cast spells while you're raging. Uh, the archetype actually allows you to cast spells while you're raging if you have um, levels in a spellcasting class, which I, in retrospect, don't think is a good idea. Um, the other one, the the big one, and this is also, folks, why you should always either have an editor hey. or <laughs> collaborate with people. All right. Collaborations are fantastic. Um, I love, in fact, my favorite projects are collaborations because you get to meet all these great people with all these great ideas that don't think the way you think. Um, Everyone who creates a product thinks, oh, this is a great product because it's the way we think and what we like. Mm -hmm. But ultimately getting everyone else's ideas and everyone else's perspectives on things can open your eyes a little bit. When we did Faiths, um, I I did a, I did Kelimvor. Um, the god of the the god of the dead for Forgotten Realms, and I really like Kelimvor. I really like the lore behind it, um, the time of troubles aspect to it, the elevation of mortals to godhood. Yeah. Um, and I think, as a sort of a a guide of dead souls, it makes more sense as a death god than you know a reaper of souls who just is evil and gathers people. It yeah. doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, so I like Kelimvor. But I, I was dead set on giving one of the archetypes a mechanic that was basically essentially a, a death aura with the idea being that um, while in this aura, living creatures would slowly begin to die. Now, you could leave the aura and you should leave the aura, yeah. but if you didn't, it would get progressively worse. And I, I had my heart set on an exhaustion mechanic where basically round by round, if you failed your save, you would get a level of exhaustion on the sixth round and the sixth failed save, you would die. Uh, Which thematically I think works really well. Mechanically, it was horrendously overpowered, horrendously. And um, while the project was always cordial, we were always professional and we, we always openly critiqued and and took criticism, Mm -hmm. which was great. Um, I really had my heart set on making this mechanic work and, 
Alex and Scott told me this isn't going to work. It isn't going to work. And I said, all right, I'll workshop it. I took it away. I fixed it. I brought it back. No, no, Micah, this is, this is broken. Uh, I'll fix it. I took it away. I brought it back. The third time they said, look, really look at it. And I really looked at it and I realized that, yeah, look, you know, it was my darling, you know, and, and sometimes you have to kill your darlings. Sometimes themes and mechanics just don't work Um, and trying to flog them or, or, you know, push them into, uh, you know, a square peg into a round hole. Sometimes you just need to let it go. So you need that outside um, perspective sometimes to stop you from getting too invested. Uh, So yeah, collaborations and editors. Uh, I'll say editors like four times in this podcast. Anyone watching? Hire yeah. an editor. Woo. So, I, no, it's, it's, it's funny because like it, it is like, so hearing like that mechanic, like the idea of like an aura of exhaustion. See, it, I guess it feels weird because like when you think about like monsters and like almost like player facing options, it feels like you could probably create a balanced monster that has this aura of exhaustion fairly, like it would be, you know, but the moment you give it to a player, it feels like it's, I don't know if that feels weird because it feels like, you know, oh. no, look, I completely agree. And it's because they're different challenges. So the monsters challenge the party as a whole. Yeah. They have a diverse range of skills that should theoretically be equal mm-hmm. um, to overcome that challenge. Monsters don't have to be fair mm-hmm. in a one-on-one. They just have to be a fair challenge. Yeah. So you could certainly create a, uh, an exhaustion um, uh aura or or power mm-hmm. to to put pit against characters um and actually in actual fact um at least one author i know has done that uh christopher waltz um who the name escapes me now but wrote a feywild adventure and the final boss in that actually has that but it's like cold based so okay. they've got a chill aura which slowly reduces everyone's stamina effectively mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually quite effective. I mean, it was it was brutal, oh, but yeah. it was quite effective. Um, so you can definitely you can definitely balance it on a monster. But this is the thing about archetypes: is they have to not just be um, balanced in terms of the individual power, but they have to be balanced in terms of what everyone else is playing too. Mm-hmm. You don't want to hand someone an archetype which basically makes them the star player yeah. and everyone else the sidekicks, um, because that's you know that ruins everybody's fun except potentially that one player, but a many player worth their salt yeah. is not going to be happy steamrolling threats while his friends just sit around and, you know, hold his cloak. It's not, so, yeah, it's not like a, a net positive of happiness. If one person's really happy and there's like four other people around the table going, well, this is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, interesting. No, fair. Um, then, so I guess uh, to maybe, again, again, uh, th- again, thank you for indulging my um, sort of archetypes and subclass uh, discussion. That's right. <laughs> um, but I guess as you're sort of like on everything you've kind of worked across, is there like anything that you just love to write? Like what was your favorite part? Um, of, of specific things or my favorite part of writing? I guess, I guess, I guess if, if uh, of any part of like a project, uh, through its like natural like lifespan, um, what is something that you always kind of look forward to? Or yeah, look. So I think, uh, and and I, I expect most creators will tell you this. I have of all the products I've produced, I have you know ten that I haven't ideas that get shelved away for another day, and I've got a file that you know that ideas that range from three words, you know, a title and three words, yeah. through to you know. 20 pages of notes on something that I will eventually develop. And part of the reason that that happens is because sometimes you get excited for something or you just have a good idea, but you're too busy and you want to put it down somewhere. Um, Sometimes it's because when you go to create something, the idea seemed like a good idea, but it didn't actually work. You know, like the idea is fantastic, but to match it to say the D and D rule set or um, you know, so, you know, just me- the mechanics of the of the rule set or the idea of the rule set, yeah. um, it doesn't you know it doesn't really fit. And so I think for me, the best part of a project is when you have that light bulb moment, that idea that you think this is going to be great. I'm going to really enjoy developing this, and then you start the project and you begin to tie the mechanics to it. Um, that moment where there's that that I guess tip over the the peak where you go right. Not only is this a good idea, but the mechanics actually work. You know, that sort of eureka moment that says, this is a viable idea. 
And I think that's really motivating to creators. And it's very motivating to me to know that you're onto something Mm -hmm. and it's not just a pie in the sky idea. This is actually going to come together to be a a product that you think is great and you think that people will enjoy. Um, So yeah, that, that moment on every project and it can sometimes be early. It can sometimes be late, Mm -hmm. but in every project you will have that moment where you go, this is going to work, you know, and that's a, a, big moment for a creator and a big moment of relief. We're like, yes, this will pan out. So that's definitely my favorite part of creating. No, hundred percent. I think for me, again, I'm, I'm very much a, I, I, I guess adventure orientated, which sounds way more, you know, it sounds very professional. So, oh, I'm an adventure orientated uh, creator. Um, but but um, I think, yeah, I always have that point where like, I have this sort of the, the, the three set, three word pitch on my own, like a word doc. Um, and when I finally sort of flesh out the chapters and the subheadings, because um, that, that's kind of like, I, I like, I like having my skeleton of a document, not just a skeleton, the skeleton of a document. <laughs> should, um, should I be checking your closet? <laughs> uh, yeah, if you can open do, it. Do you have a skeleton advisor that you go to and say, is this going to be a good adventure? Uh, well, I've got, what is it? I've got Kelmore, uh, Kel- Kelmore in there. <laughs> Kelmore, hiding out the back. Yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, I, sh- I should get out of here, but you know, it's quite, I've got a lot of friends in there. Um, but yeah, no, and, and then it sort of hits that point of like, okay, well, I can see the flow. Um, and then that's, that's for adventure right now. So I find that's quite important to see, okay, well, this is naturally where the players should kind of progress and go through. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I understand agree. That's, that's kind of like a, a sort of satisfying point. Um, and so when you say, when you sort of find that sort of mechanical click is, does that also apply for when you're writing adventures? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, when I say mechanical, I don't necessarily mean, you know, the nuts and bolts rules. I mean, everything that brings it together. So, I mean, you talk about adventures, you know, you, you, you write your, your, your plot notes, your plot synopsis, the concept you want to go with, where you want to take it, you know, the, the climax and the resolution with the expectation that, that you can make a story out of this that people are going to want to play through. Um, sometimes, with adventures you have this great idea for a great bad guy this villain's going to be fantastic but for whatever reason the way you envision them doesn't necessarily lend itself to an actual adventure for example you may find that you know the the theme or the or the um you know the motivating sort of you know requirements of the villain to do the things they need to do well you know doesn't really lend itself to a party of adventurers interacting with them in their scheme or something like that. So, um, and similarly, you might write this great story, but, but it falls flat in the end. You can't get the climax you want, or it doesn't feel like fulfilling sort of storytelling where, where the player actions, and this is a big one for a lot of venture writers where the player actions actually matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, and I, it's not a criticism. I think it's just part of the evolutionary stage. A lot of adventure writers will start with a story. This is the story I want to tell. And that's, that's great. And every adventure needs that. But, but if you don't allow the characters to have meaningful choices, then you might as well just have written a short story. Um, because it's, it's incumbent on the players to make those choices to move the plot along. Um, and look, I'm as guilty of that as anyone. The first, uh, uh, you know, we all have DM horror stories. When we first started out. Um, I started out when I was sort of, you know, late childhood, early teens. Um, and so when I really started DMing seriously in my early teens, um, it was all, it was all plot driven. The characters were there to do the things that I said they were there to do, you know? So, um, yeah, look, it, it's, it's, uh, you certainly need to make sure that adventures as well as, mm-hmm. you know, other types of products still have that that kind of the gears or mesh if mm-hmm. you like yeah. the things you want to achieve actually are achievable with the medium you're using so no that's, that's yeah I, I, yeah I, I think it's um it's it's it, it always interesting when obviously being always constantly aware that whatever you're creating is always going to be the dm facing or player facing um and trying to think of like one thing is obviously making it as easy for you know the players or the DM to kind of uh, grok or just like generally like you know get involved with with what you're in, but also I, I suppose it, it's it's balancing the what's 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 the word um, I guess like 
I have completely forgotten my word. <laughs> or, <laughs> just, just the word. Um, no, I, yeah. No, I, either, you know, what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut myself off and say I agree. That's really, that's really good. That's really good point. <laughs> to smoothly, to smoothly segue over that to to see the other side of the coin. Then, um, is is there any sort of like uh, particular part of a project that is your least favorite? Uh, not not any one thing. I mm-hmm. think all projects have challenges for one reason or another. So, um, you know, it might be that you know, you have this great idea and you get three words down on a, on a bit of paper and you're like, fantastic, I'll come back to that. And the three weeks later, you come back and you're like, what was I thinking? You know, um, or you might have this great idea and you're really invested in getting it to work, but, you know, you start putting it together. It might be mechanics or it might be an adventure and you hit a bit of a roadblock or you hit a bit of, you know, sort of creative block. Um, or, you know, honestly, you just real life intrudes and you you know, you find yourself lacking some motivation. There's always flat points in every product one way or another. Um, I've found myself in also in places where, you know, the product's 95% done and all I have to do is lay out and clean it up, and make it presentable. And, and you sort of, but have just reached that kind of point where I'm just like, yeah, but I'm so done with this thing. I've been working on it for months and, yeah. you know, motivation's at an all-time low, energy's at an all-time low. I am out of spoons and I just can't push past that final hurdle. Um, and so, yeah, look, I think, I think all projects have their peaks and troughs, yeah. um, which also uh, what I will say on that as well, particularly when it comes to creative or motivational troughs where mm-hmm. things do get a bit flat. That's where collaborations are so powerful mm-hmm. because with other people pushing, with other people ex- excited, uh, with other people having ideas and you bounce your ideas off them and their ideas become more refined and your ideas become more refined. If you do hit a block, often somebody else in the project who doesn't think like you do will simply say, well, well how about this? And suddenly that barrier is gone. They've just gone right past it because of them. It's not a barrier. When you're at low motivation or when you're at low energy, someone else will step up and their enthusiasm will carry the project on. So, um, you know, the, I guess the downside with collaborations, and I say this um, theoretically because I've been incredibly fortunate with the, the partners I've had in collaborations. I have had no bad experiences, but apparently if you do have some interpersonal conflict, that obviously is the other side of things where, you know, people perhaps won't take feedback um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, aren't, aren't open to new ideas or want it that way, or just, just have a personality clash. It doesn't have to be anyone being unreasonable. Some people just don't necessarily get along. So, um, but I've heard a few horror stories, but thankfully, um, (laughs) I've, I've been incredibly lucky. Uh, everyone I've worked with has been incredibly professional, um, willing to take feedback, willing to give feedback um, and do it respectfully, you know, in, in such a way that we're all working towards the, the same end, the same goal yeah. and a product we can be proud of. So uh, I've been incredibly fortunate. I haven't had any issues at all. Um, and that helps me when I hit those flat points. So uh, again, and I'll say this a few times, anyone watching this, if you either write for DMs Guild or want to write for DMs Guild, highly recommend get to know some of the people, join the Discord, reach out to other authors, get yourself on some collaborations, yeah. learn, teach, be and, part of the community. And I think, of what's, so funnily enough, uh, I think there's a lot of conversations that occasionally pop up on like the, uh, the Facebook group, the DMs Guild Facebook group, and other things of like, how do I get involved in, in collaborations? Um, and I think, again, it, being like aware of the creators on Twitter and like in the, all the sort of the social sphere as a whole, you see these calls out, you know, on occasion. Um, but sometimes, again, just by having like your knowing a product you kind of want to do that maybe is just a little bit too big for you yourself to handle, to just put your pitch out there and just be like, hey, I would like some help on this. There's, there's so many new yeah. creators equally looking for like, you know, the chance to jump on a collaboration. And this is how, this is how those sort of like partnerships and things, you know, of like. Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. And, and I think as well, you know, uh, I think once you've done a few co- collabs, you, you do have, I guess, either favorite partners or, or people that you've worked well with that had a good experience that want to go again. And so 
Um, I think a lot of new creators or a lot of creators that do a lot of solo stuff might look at these groups as in groups and say, oh, well, that guy always works with that guy, always works with that person, always works with, you know, um, X, Y, and Z, you know, or they're a team, you know. That's not necessarily the case. We all have preferences. We all have people we enjoy working with. But what I I do think is that that, I mean, all the people I know are very open to new writers or getting different voices on board and and that's how the community grows and gets new ideas you know for the same reason you don't want to just do your own products all the time you don't want to work with the same people all the time i mean i have i have some partners in crime i work a a fair bit with phil beckwith um uh, he and i live in the same town and since we're in pretty much the opposite time zone to everybody else on the guild or most people on the guild we're we're in australia so um you know, often we find it very easy for communication um, and we think very similarly as well. So uh, he and I work well together um, and I've had a few repeat collaborations, but also I've had, you know, just out of the blue, oh, you know, this person's got something going or, oh, you know, I like what this person does. I'll reach out to them, you know, and, and people shouldn't be afraid to reach out to their, um, you know, uh, it's called dream collaborators, but people they look up to and people they respect. I mean, that's how we're all in the same boat. We all just want to create good content. So, um, you know, I think sometimes, particularly there was a conversation going on a little while ago on Twitter um, about these kind of, I guess, the standards in the guild over time becoming higher, you know, the professionalism, the presentation. In truth, the money being spent on the polish of the products. And some of these kind of in-groups being formed. And, and I think there is some of that, but also I, I, the walls aren't as thick as people think. Um, you know, everybody I've spoken to was happy to talk to other creators, whether they've got 10 years experience or no years experience. Some of the, the newer creators that have been creating for less than a year have some of the best ideas, the, the freshest ideas, the, um, you know, the, uh, I mean, if you want to look at like the more, you know, quite marketable ideas, if you're concerned about whether or not a product is going to, to sell, mm-hmm. uh, which is a factor. And it's something that if you're going to work in a market, you need to consider. But, but again, I mean, honestly, no one makes any money out of this or very few people make any money out of this. We do this for love it. So you need yeah. to create the products that you love creating. And um, I suppose like a, you definitely shouldn't try and tie your, worth or that your, your, your creative worth on how well a product sells. It's, yeah. No, it's, look, yeah. no. Um, and <laughs> you know what? I, I see that a lot uh, as well. People are like, oh, you know, it, you know, what if it doesn't get copper or, or what if it doesn't get a medal or to be honest, who cares? Um, you know, like I, I say that a little bit flippantly and I don't mean that we all care. We all want our products to do well. We all want people to like our products. Um, but I think it's important you know, some people have garnered a, a reputation um, as being good creators and most of their products will almost instantly go to copper, silver or, or have success. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have breakout products. You know, I know a couple of creators, their first product did really, really well. And then they weren't able to replicate that, that success. It was just an innovative idea that at the time caught the market's imagination. Everyone went, this is fantastic. And lots of people bought it. That was fantastic. But then it set perhaps an unreal expectation and and pressure on themselves to do as well the second or third time. But most creators, their early products don't do well. And it takes time and and repeated uh, repeated products and and building uh, your, you know, your, your, I say, I would say standing in the community because that sounds terrible. But what I mean is getting your name out there, getting people to understand that you are here, that you do stuff. No one became famous overnight. Um, Sorry to add add on to that. I think was, I remember, I I, I wish I could credit it properly, but someone who said the best way to sell some of your older products is to release a new product. (laughs) You know, just uh, just keep going, keep running. And I'll give you, I'll give you a a perfect example of that. Uh, When we released faiths of the forgotten realms 2 from the release date of face of the forgotten realms 2 we have sold more copies of face of the forgotten realms 1 than face of the forgotten realms 2 so releasing faiths 2 in its own right was a good um uh, good product i actually 
think it was a better product than than it did in terms of sales. Uh, I'm certainly prouder of it as a polished product than Faith's one, but it actually caused a huge upswell in sales of Faith's one. And and this is the thing: if you establish your credentials as a creator, you create things that people like, and they discover you on your tenth product. The first thing they will do is go back to your back catalog and see what else you did. Um, and so this idea of instant success, I mean, there's, there's so many creators in the guild now, which is, which is fantastic. We, we want to see, well, I want to see more voices out there, more ideas, everything on the guild, as far as I'm concerned, from the best product to the worst product offers something to the community and to the, um, the game of D and D, which we all love. Um, but it's very easy to get buried. I mean, in the early days, you know, the, particularly the first wave of creators, they put something up on the new products page. It stayed there for a couple of days because yeah. there just weren't that many new products coming out. Now, if you put something up, you're lucky if it lasts five minutes before it's been pushed to, to you know, 10th, 11th in line because there are so many products coming out and you get these big bursts as well. Um, Ashley Warren uh, yeah, does the, the Adventure Writers um, RPG Writers Workshop. workshop. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's brought this whole new wave of, of excited creators bringing adventures into the market, and which is fantastic. But what happens is when the workshop ends, there is a huge dump of adventures onto the DMs Guild. And having the content there is great, but I think a lot of especially new creators look at that and go, oh, it was there for a second and now it's gone. Nobody knows who I am and and. It, it, it can no longer be seen. Um, but our products don't go off. They're not milk. Yeah. They, they will be there forever. And if they're a good product um, and you've clearly put time, effort, and love into it, they will eventually see the light of day. Mm-hmm. You know, many creators have found much more success in terms of recognition in their later products than in their early products. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a numbers game, you know. The, the longer you stay in it, the, the you know, the it's look, it's it's numbers and quality. I would oh, say oh, oh, you yeah, can't sorry. just you <laughs> can't just put up junk. Yeah. Um. And and you know, I mean, to to go back to an earlier point I made with, um, with the quality on the guild. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last couple of years, the quality has, uh, the the stakes and and the the standards have got considerably higher um we're now seeing products come out that are have had capital sunk into them there is professional art there is professional cartography um we've got a number of products coming out these days with the um you know uh contributions by ed greenwood or other individuals that that have a strong association keith baker's exploring eberron is a fantastic book but it's produced at a professional level and most first-time creators are simply not going to have the reputation keith has and rightly earned uh the money behind the product to make it look as slick and schmick to have the editing the layout and all the things that go with it but that shouldn't discourage people i mean you know 30 years ago, Keith Baker didn't exist. Um, you know, 30 years ago, <laughs> 30 years ago. Well, I mean, he existed as a person, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, no, he's older than 30. But, um, you know, as, as, a, as a name in the industry, yeah. you know, 30 years ago, no one knew who Chris Perkins was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hell, I remember his first adventures arriving in uh, Dungeon Magazine yeah. back in, you know, oh, oh. It's a long time ago now, but I was getting Dungeon Magazine as a teenager and seeing Chris Perkins's first adventures. Um, and unfortunately, for the rest of us mere mortals, they were actually really good back then. Um, so, you know, he's just gone from strength to strength. It's why he's in the position he's in. But um, yeah, look, this is the thing, you know, you don't make a reputation overnight, but you can make a reputation by being part of the community, by producing quality work you don't have to come out of the blocks with you know something earth-shaking the first time out but if you persist and you um and you produce quality work that will eventually get recognized okay 100 um then i well i guess in in to sort of follow that strand of like you know keep creating and sort of putting more stuff out there um what are you what are you currently working on uh i've actually got a few 
irons in the fire at the moment. I, t I tend to run in waves. Um, so I haven't produced anything for a couple of months, but there's all these things working in the background. So um, the, the first couple, I've got a list here. So oh, excuse please. me if I look off to the side of the screen. No, um, so the, the one that's probably closest to fruition, um, and it's one that I'm actually really excited about, um, Justin Johnson and Phil Beckwith are heading a, a project called Bigby's uh, Handbook of Creative Spell Use. Handbook. Um, <laughs> yes, Bigby's Handbook. I used to see the front page illustration. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I, Phil's put it up on Facebook, so I'll spoil it. But it's basically a shrunken gnome being thrown by a Bigby's hand. Um, so it's very cool. Um, and, and, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll admit, there are a few puns in some of the technique names, but the whole idea is uh, we have all these spells and, and the only spells included in the book are actually published by official sources. So the player's handbook and Xanathar's guide and things like that. But um, it's sort of new ways to combine or tactics to use or ways parties can work together to get the most out of their spells. So it's not just drop a fireball uh, things are still alive. Fire and magic missile. Yeah. You know, it's 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 tactical, but it's also you know interesting combinations that perhaps people may not have thought of. So There's a few old tricks in there yeah. um, from some of the old campaigners, but but generally it's it's creative ways to use your spells. And so there's about, I think it's about 50 techniques and most of them are combinations of two or more spells, sometimes combinations of different class spells or abilities. Sometimes it's tricks that, that a wizard or a caster can do on their own, um, you know, or just or clever ways to use things. Um, and uh, that's actually, that's um, almost by accident. That's actually an all Australian uh, collaboration. Yeah. So um, Justin's, generally known for the fact that he's an editor and Phil of course is is a creator as well and yeah. Justin and Phil and I were sort of chatting and um, we managed to we've been talking about talking to all of the Australian creators because we're a bit of a minority on the guild um, and we all you know have the same sort of regional problems of of time zone issues and you know access to convention issues and things like that so yep. um, we've kind of been chatting and this all just came about fairly quickly and suddenly we've got all these great ideas coming together. So um, that's actually due out fairly soon within the next couple of weeks. So maybe by the time this is up, it, yeah. it'll be up or very I mean, close to being up. At, at the very least, if it is out, again, uh, it, there will be a link somewhere in, in the description at the very least. Uh, what else? So um, I'm working uh, on uh, a version of Face of the Forgotten Realms 3. Um, this is a solo project. It's smaller than the last two, um, but it's going to be regionally appropriate. So I'm actually tying it to the release of Icewind Dale, um, and the region is going to be Icewind Dale and the Frostfar, um, and it's going to be some new gods that we haven't tackled yet, and some gods from the previous books, but all new archetypes that basically tie both the religion and the region together. Mm -hmm. So you know, some tundra-based ranges and so forth. But um, there's going to be 20-plus archetypes in it. i still got to uh, have a look at a few of the, the ones that I'm not quite there yet on, decide if they're going to make the book or not. But, um, yeah, that hopefully will be released about the same time as, um, as Icewind Dale, the official book, mm -hmm. to kind of match that up. Um, I've actually, I'm actually in a, uh, another collaboration, a, another really good one um, with uh, Isaac and Ashley May. Um, extending Isaac's um, strange things or weird things I've found on the floor in a planet portal. Yeah. This, this one's called Weird Stuff I Found in the Guild. And it's actually a um, hundred artifacts for the Forgotten Realms or other campaign worlds. Yeah. These aren't small magic items they are fully fleshed artifacts deep lore um lots of um not just you know combat power some of them have very little combat power but lots of um sort of you know interconnected abilities that make them feel like they've got real depth and and you know sort of campaign impacting abilities i mean some of these some of these artifacts you could anchor an entire campaign around either the discovery of or using it for its you know 
you know, associated purpose or in its associated environment. I, mean, um, I was, was going to say, the, the, the tale of older time is taking an evil artifact and finding the ways to destroy it. That's like, that's, that's a campaign in itself. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, we've, we've, uh, and it runs the whole gamut. So there's, you know, there's ones that are meant, maybe less powerful meant to be used, you know, to maybe sort of, you know, against a foe or, and there are others that are, you know, genuinely earth shaking artifacts that need to be contained, destroyed, you know, or, or whatnot. And, um, yeah, but again, the, the, the team on that, the, the creativity in that is just really impressive. Um, I've been going through the different entries and that we all do sort of peer review each other and give okay. critique and so forth. And, uh, I've been honestly blown away by the, um, the, uh, value in all of this and Ashley's doing the layout. She just, uh, allowed us to have a look at the, the, uh, draft layout and it's a beautiful looking book so far. I don't know if it's quite going to be the end result, but, uh, I'm really looking forward to that coming out. So that should be probably next month as well. I mean, um, was it uh, Ashley and Isaac? They're, they are—they're a power couple. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Look, um, I've—I've I've had the fortune to work for them, work with them, I should say, several times. So um, they work with me on Faiths too, and Ashley is—she's got great prose and great lore. She did a lot of the, in fact, most of the background information entries on the different deities. Yeah. While the rest of us kind of focused on the um, the mechanics of it and how to match that up. So, uh, and yeah, look, they, they just, they know the rules. They know how to make a great product. They run, um, this is their collaboration. They run a great tight collaboration. It's yeah. very slick. Um, yeah. It's, it's a great group to, to be with. Um, and again, they, they have a knack of finding just great collaborators, people that have great ideas that, take direction, take critique, give critique. Yeah. Um, and if you get the right team and the right people running it, you can end up with a, a really quite a, an impressive product. So I'm looking forward to that one being released yeah. as well. And is, is that the, the I get it. You, you, you weren't lying about it coming in waves. It's like, it sounds like you've got a very busy like month or so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, a couple of months. Uh, I think I think most creators probably find this that they've got a few things going on in the background, and and different projects move at different speeds. Mm -hmm. So um, the weird stuff has been actually running for quite some time. It's probably the longest of the three. Um, Bigby's handbook came together quite quickly. Um, it took a while to get everything ironed out, and uh, Faith Three, um, I. Uh, I wasn't going to do another archetype book for a while after Black Staffs, which I released, I think, uh, late March, early April. And I thought, okay, I'm done with archetypes for a while. But I started thinking about some of the stuff we missed and just jotting some notes down. I think one of the, one of the things for Faiths too, the feedback was, you know, we had Bahamut, um, the dragon god, mm -hmm. but the archetypes were didn't include a paladin, which you know, naturally you would assume would be in the, the Bahamut entry. And as it turns out, we did have a draft of one, but the two that got used were just much stronger ideas from Ryan and Steve Fiddler. Um, and so it didn't make the cut. And I thought, well, you know, there's, there's some stuff missing here. And, and so I just started tooling away that in my spare time. And all of a sudden I got this big burst of creativity and I got a real energy for it. And then I realized a lot of what I was doing you know, was I was working on some Levistus stuff, Prince Levistus for, um, from Stygia, um, on something else, actually an adventure I was writing. And I thought, well, hang on a second, there's a cold theme going here. And so uh, it's about a month or a month and a half ago, I thought, well, hang on a second, I could actually turn this into something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that one came together really quickly. Um, and thankfully, because I didn't give myself a big time window. I'm the only person writing on this one. Mm -hmm. So um, it's all on me. If yeah. it gets released on time, then then it's on me. And if it doesn't get released on time, well, I don't let anyone down. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, so different projects will bubble along in the background. And then suddenly there's that final push towards the end. And and in this case, it just happens to be uh, all this coming at once. Um, I've actually got a fourth, fourth project, um, which we are loosely at this stage calling the Cubanomican. Um, which is basically a a book of variant gelatinous cubes. 
Um, <laughs> and that that actually came about. We uh, again, a few of the DMs girl creators were we're going to go on this podcast, uh, wandering DMs. Um, it's actually a stream and it was talking about creating monsters. We were just sitting in the lobby before the stream went on talking about our favorite monsters. Gelatinous Cube happens to be my favorite monster. Um, I, I think they're fantastic. Um, and so we're chatting about them and, and just a few ideas cropped up and we jokingly said, oh, we should do a Gelatinous Cube book. And then when the stream ended, there's a few minutes of silence, you know, a few moments of silence and, and someone piped up and said, so are we doing this book or what? I'm like, <laughs> All right, we're doing this book. Yeah. So, th- yeah, that's been cruising along in the background. That's not a particularly serious one. That's um, that's just a bit of fun that the yeah. creators are having. So, uh, but yeah, there's always something going on. No, oh, fantastic. Um, and then I, gu- I guess to uh, like uh, you kind of mentioned again, working with so many great people, um, and looking at looking at the time. Um, is there anyone in particularly in the DM skill that you kind of wanna, or the community as a whole that you kind of wanna wanna highlight or like? Uh, I always, I always find things like this difficult because, you know, you, you got so many people and, and um, you, you know, you feel like, uh, I guess, a bit worried that you're not going to mention the right people or not enough, or, you know, do you put emphasis on one or the other? There's, there's so many fantastic people in the DMs Guild community. Um, and they've got, they're fantastic for different reasons. So look, I've been, uh, very fortunate to work with a number of, of great people. And, and I think it's important that, that I plug them a little bit. So, um, you know, Ashley and Isaac, are fantastic. Um, uh, Steve Fiddler is, is great. Ryan Langer, um, uh, uh, maybe a name that not many people have heard, but should pay attention to is Brian Holmes. He's a quiet achiever, but he is an amazing creator. A uh, huge amount of respect for the stuff he does. Um, what else? I'm looking at my notes now. Yeah, so no, it's, it's like, like that. Yeah, I, I, I said this multiple times, but yeah, this is the question where I, I, feel, I feel cruel. But I always feel like in just in the nature of this podcast and just chatting, so many names come out. Like it, it's hard. To, it's in, in the nature of doing so many collaborations, you, you naturally just mention the people you work with. And it's really like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there's this person who I just despise so much. It's always it's always so, so positive. So, you know, I, I... oh, well, uh, and, and I think and this is the thing. And, you know, like you, you do find all these people that that give so much as well. And um, while I'm thinking about it, the other thing which is it's critical is and some of these people are creators as well, but the, the people that, that um, champion the guild and champion creators and get out there and create hype and are really supportive people like uh, D and D Elise, Curse of Sebs, um, yeah. uh, DM Dango, Cam Day. Um, I'm going to horribly mash, mash his name, but Patrick uh, Higginbotham, you know, these guys that, that do reviews and, and get out there and, and, push bills products you know even even podcasts like this matthew you know that that raise awareness for the guild these are important because you know as much as the guild is out there as much as it's been out for years and it's strong and we're getting some really professional products out of it i think we're still fighting this strange anonymity that because mm-hmm. we're not part of the mainstream production we a lot of us just you know a lot of people just don't know the guild exists yeah and the guild is one of the better publicized platforms. And the other thing, of course, is we're fighting this homebrew yeah. tag. Um, and don't get me wrong, it persists for a reason. Everyone can create content. Not everyone can create good content. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that as an ability thing. I, again, I talk about things like creating archetypes for wish fulfillment um, or throwing an idea down. And, and these are all things that that improve or or create conversations or or get more interest but some of them aren't well executed and and i understand why that homebrew tag follows us around but the you know the upper 50 percent of the stuff that's on the dms guild is really worth a look um you know some of it i would go so far as to say some of the stuff being produced in the guild is equal to or even exceeds watsy or Cobalt Press yeah. or Green Ronin um, in terms of quality, dedication and balance. And I think a lot of people dismiss it because there isn't, you know, that, I guess that corporate oversight, mm-hmm. that quality control. But a lot of the creators work very, very hard to make sure this is good quality, balanced content. Um, 
because they care. We all care. This is oh. the thing. We all care that our games are good. We all care that content is good. Mm-hmm. We all love D&D and want to have more and better. So um, people that people that champion creators are worth their weight in gold. Um, and I can't, I just can't say enough good things about them. No. Yeah, no. And also here's another thing, after that sort of, any, anyone answers that question, I'm always like, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> like, how, 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 do you, how, do you, how do you really follow on from that? Like, it's like, yeah, no, 100%. Um, well, and, and also people that will professionally review as well, or even yeah. non-professional reviews. When people give feedback, that, oh, yeah. again, that creates that, that, you know, that drive to do more and better mm-hmm. and refine and, and get slicker, um, you know, cleaner products. So, um, yeah, look, I think, I think again, it's community. The community is, is important. It's not creators. It's the DMs Guild community that makes this work and makes yeah. this good and, and makes it uh, reach for more. Yeah, and um, we're, we're fortunate to have a, a very sort of like, yeah, a, a community of, 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 again, a good number of cheerleaders, essentially, of like people, you know, uh, raising everyone else Absolutely. up or drawing everything out. Um, no, honestly, I think that's, I think that's a lovely note to, to end on. Um, again, uh, Mika, thank you so much for your time. This has been, this has been oh, thank you for show. having me. I really appreciate um, it. Yeah. Um, as I say, obviously links to all your, your Twitter handle and, and uh, some of your products will be in the description down below. Obviously be sure to go out and, and, and follow him. Um, I've been, I've been Matthew Whitby. Um, yeah, you can find me at Whitby Writes. Um, do you want to uh, throw a shout out of where the best place would be to kind of follow you and find out about your upcoming products and whatnot? Um, yeah, well, look, I mean, you can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Pyromaniac Press. I have a webpage, pyromaniacpress.com. Um, DMs Guild, you can always find my stuff, but don't search Pyromaniac Press because publishers aren't allowed on the DMs Guild, so yeah. search Michael Watt. Uh, I have stuff on DriveThruRPG again. Um, and periodically on the socials, I will throw out a link to a uh, mailing list. If people want to sign up, I promise I won't spam you. Um, and I will give you discounts on my products. Yeah. So um, if you want to sign up to that, you can find me there. Oh, fantastic. Um, and then I guess my, my very last question then is, um, how do we end the podcast? Ah, uh, well. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you know what? Well, Actually, look, look, I was going to say, you know um, I, I, was gonna say I, I do have an idea. But I, I don't want to like if you've got one by all means. No, no, no. That's that's okay. fine. So I've recently again. Uh, this is just me to show off. I've recently got a standing desk, and <laughs> so I just thank you for coming. Uh, I don't have one of those, but I could <laughs> I could try and like sink off my chair if, if that would amuse people.